Yo, Eagles Nation, stand up. How'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Facts. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to episode Jaworski. The first quarterback in franchise history to take the birds to the Super Bowl, albeit in a losing effort. But nonetheless, welcome to episode seven. You could also go, if you want to go really, really deep dive with the number seven in terms of Eagles history, you could go, uh, if you want to get obscure, you can go Kenny (laughs) O'Brien, Bobby Hoying, if you remember, uh, if you're old enough to remember that special era of torture in Eagles history. There's also Jeff Garcia. And uh, if you want to take four years off your life and just destroy your liver, you could also, your liver, you could also go episode Michael Vick. So, in a nutshell, episode seven of the Grease Paul podcast. Thank you so much for taking part. You can follow the show, as always, on Instagram at Grease Paul Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Every episode is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So, again, subscribe, rate, review. If you do so, or if you have already greatly appreciate it so uh this is uh this is going to be like a like an old and a new testament here today got a got a thick show lined up for you guys but before we get into uh the meat and potatoes of of what this episode is going to be uh it it, it, just to just to touch on on what's been going on in the country lately uh, for a few minutes, you know, it's, it's, you know, as I sat this weekend, man, and I watched, you know, multiple cities, multiple cities burn, you know, the city I'm from, the city I love, the city that's the reason I love this team, that's the reason I do this podcast, is I watched it burn, like, you can't, you can't help but feel hopeless, you know, and, and when you think about it, and you know, for the past two months with what we've been dealing with in this country, you know, I, I've been going to work each and every day in the middle of a pandemic, half paranoid of a faceless killer. And you're reminded quickly as another police officer puts his knee on a black man's neck for 10 minutes that that fear you've been experiencing is nothing compared to what black people deal with each and every day of their lives, you know. If you don't know me personally, full disclosure, I'm a white dude, so I don't, I don't know these struggles firsthand. Nor would I, for a moment, pretend to, you know, act like I do. That is not what this is. But as somebody who grew up and spent a large portion of my childhood in locker rooms, you know, playing sports, you don't. I've just never been one of those people that's seen color. And for myself, I I don't have any negative encounters with police, at least that weren't warranted. 
you know. I've I've been able to, you know, reach for my glove box to get my vehicle registration without a fear of being shot. And that that should be the reality for everybody here in America. Should be. People people shouldn't there shouldn't be a, a portion of society that has to wear their vehicle registration around their neck. That just shouldn't shouldn't be the case. You know, I feel for the business owners whose businesses are their livelihood, who had to watch as their livelihood, their entire life's work went up in flames. But I don't, I don't want to hear from a guy like Roger Goodell, starchy white guy, whose league blackballed Colin Kaepernick three years ago, who tried to warn everybody and tell everybody this shit is going to happen, it's going to keep happening. I don't want to hear from the guy whose rich white buddies kept him, just got him out of the way. I don't want to hear from Goodell. I don't want to hear from the MAGA crew. The 45 fans. I don't want to hear from the people who were here just trying to defend their political stance. You know, we had an idiot here locally in Virginia Beach that essentially, let's call it what it is, he ran protesters over with his truck. And... When I say truck, it's exactly what you would picture. You know, the truck that overcompensates is equipped with American flag flying from the bed of the truck. That, you know, it's it's a mind fuck that we're told constantly from a young age. We're fed the propaganda that we live in the greatest country in the world. And yet, it still symbolizes oppression for a large fraction of the population. And that's the reality of it. The leader, and I, I emphasize leader there in air quotes, okay? Put air quotes around the word leader of the free world. With all this going on, he's more concerned with fact-checking Twitter than his nation burning to the ground. So, you know, as I sat despondent watching these riots, my first initial thought, aside from the obvious, was, you know, for, for the love of Christ, we we cannot endure another four years of this shit. So, you know, it just just a couple brief thoughts there. One to touch on it because it it, it is what it is going on in the world now and again. In in thirty two years on this earth, I don't know that I've experienced a feeling a feeling that I did this past weekend. And I'm not trying to put my emotions with the oppressed because it's not it's it's not nearly in the same wavelength at all but just as somebody who pays attention to what's going on in this world it doesn't feel like the united states it doesn't so that being said awkward transition time (laughs) awkward super awkward transition time so a couple weeks ago, uh, I had a conversation with uh, the crew at work. So it's myself, an Eagles fan, my brother-in-law, who's a Bengals fan, our guy Jason, who's a Raiders fan, and uh, my buddy Rob, who's a Giants fan. And I don't even remember the genesis of this, but the question was, is Derek Carr in the top half of quarterbacks in the NFL? Again, I can't remember the conversation. All I remember was, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, like off the top of your head, probably around there, but 
Like, let me go home and think about this. And I'm going home and I'm putting down all the 32 quarterbacks and I'm kind of kind of ranking them and everything. I'm like, oh, this make a fun, this make a fun podcast. So here we are. I guess you could say, you know, again, with a combination of this being episode seven and that being uh, Ron Jaworski's number, former quarterback of the Eagles, uh, who lost to the Raiders in uh, Super Bowl 15, the Eagles' first ever Super Bowl appearance. Uh, odd that those two uh Jaworski and Derek Carr who's quarterback of the Raiders odd that those two factors combined inspired this episode but here we are so and while putting this list together one of the things that immediately jumped out at me just as I was jotting down names the depth at quarterback in the year 2020 where we're at right now this is the deepest the quarterback position's ever been Seriously. I mean, the NFL 20 years ago was littered with guys like Jay Fiedler, <laughs> Gus Farratt, Tony Banks, Rob Johnson, Cade McNown. That's, that was 20 years ago, the NFL. That was the bottom feeders. Akili Smith, Jeff Blake, right? This is the deepest quarterback position has ever been in the NFL. It's not even debatable. So while putting this together, you have to have – I wanted some sort of criteria, and I guess the best way to explain this, this isn't like a pure, this isn't all-time resume here. You know, I didn't want to do that. I felt like that was kind of too easy. It's been done a million times. You know, I wanted to figure out a way, again, to make it different. So the criteria here is a combination of things. It, I looked at the current, like your current standing in 2020, the team you're with, the current situation, while also taking your individual resume into account as a quarterback. So pure talent, your team, the situation you're in, and yes, the resume does come into play as well. This is not a fantasy football ranking, by the way, okay? This is, this is not who I'm telling you to draft in a couple months when your fantasy drafts come up. I'm sure there will be a fantasy episode at some point in the coming months, okay? This is not a fantasy draft ranking. This is a list in terms of pure talent while also taking in the criteria I just mentioned. So let's, uh, with a swig of the monster out of the way, I'm sure you guys could hear it. That's hot, live sound effects on the air. Why not, uh, why not get to it? Let's start with number 32. We're going to go 32 to 1 here because you guys aren't going to want to wait another hour to hear Jarrett Stidham's name called at number 32. Uh, it, 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 he's done nothing at the NFL level. Okay, point blank. I get, okay, you're with Belichick. It appears that Belichick trusts him, at least for now. You don't know if they're going to bring in a guy like Cam Newton or somebody like that. But right now, Jarrett Stidham is the guy. They didn't draft a quarterback. They're going to roll with him. He's done nothing at the NFL level. It, it, No-brainer. Put him at 32. Let's go to number 31. Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> I don't know if it could be like, hey, Eagles fan bias, you hate the Redskins. Penn State fan bias, you hate Ohio State. Yes and yes. Both those things are true. But it, it, what did you see from Haskins in his rookie year to let you think like he was going to set the world on fire this year? Again, he could have a better year, and I think that's absolutely possible because he didn't really do a ton this rookie year. He averaged only 151 yards per game in seven starts, a 59% completion rate, seven touchdowns, and seven picks. That, you know, again, depth in the NFL at this point. 
that gets you the 31st spot. I'm sorry. You're just better than Jarrett Stidham, who has done dick all of nothing at this point in his NFL career. So 31 is Dwayne Haskins. At number 30, I did not – some of these situations are tricky, and this is the first one we'll get into. For the Chicago Bears, I did not want to go Nick Foles because I very much believe that probably by week four, week six, Foles will have that job. He will have won the job. I firmly believe he's a better quarterback than Mitchell Trubisky, but to this point, Foles has not played a game with Chicago, and Trubisky's been there for a few years to this point. So for the purpose of this exercise, in theory, because it's Trubisky's job to lose – I went him as the Chicago Bears quarterback on this list, and he comes in at number 30. You know, he's got a record of 23 and 18, 41 career starts, over 8,500 yards with 48 touchdowns and 29 picks, 30, or excuse me, 63% completion percentage with one playoff appearance in 2018. That was the, the one, the double doink by Cody Parkey, where he lost to the Birds in the wild card round uh, in 2018. You know, that, and that one, that was by far Trubisky's best season. He had a serious regression last year in 2019. His fifth year option's already been declined by the Bears. They traded for Nick Foles, like we just said. You know, they, Chicago themselves announced an open competition for the starting job. So that there lets you know there's not a ton of faith in that organization for Mitch Trubisky, who they drafted second overall in the same class with Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. He was the first quarterback taken. So, not a lot of faith from Chicago. He comes in at number 30. Number 29. Let's go with Minshew Mania. Gardner Minshew at number 29. Completed 61% of his passes for 3,271 yards with 21 touchdowns and 6 picks and 12 starts. He somehow managed to win 6 games with that Jaguars roster. That its best piece in Leonard Fournette just completely imploded last year. So, to, I mean, it, it sounds stupid. Six and ten is not something to typically brag about. But going six and ten with that Jaguars roster is, you know, if, if, if there is such thing as a moral victory, I guess you could count it as that. Not so much of a moral, moral victory is Gardner Minshew coming in at number 29. But there you go. Number 28. We're going to get to our first rookie on the list. I'm going to go Justin Herbert at number 28. Now, the reason why I opted for Herbert as opposed to Tyrod Taylor was, and again, I, I like Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor fine. I played against him in high school. I like him. But you don't draft a quarterback six overall and without plans of him being the future. So while I kept Trubisky for Chicago – because neither Foles nor Trubisky is going to be Chicago starter for the next five years. Highly doubt it. San Diego drafted Herbert with the expectation of him being their franchise quarterback for the next 10, 12 years. So I'm opting to go Herbert here in reference to the Chargers and putting him at number 28. And when you think about Justin Herbert, he was a polarizing prospect in this year's draft. He looks exactly like a prototypical quarterback. He's got the size, 6'6", 235 pounds. He's got a cannon for an arm. He can make throws on the run under pressure. His biggest issue is anticipating throws. That's something he can't do, at least not yet. Didn't demonstrate to be able to do at Oregon. Biggest issue is anticipating throws. His instincts can be delayed, 
causing him to be late to pull the trigger. And, you know, I like Herbert as a prospect. If he can can learn to, you know, like we said, anticipate those throws a little bit, lead your receiver, put the ball where the receiver is going to be, uh, you know, beat those breaks on the routes. I like Herbert, but the Chargers' ownership situation is way less than ideal. This ranking, to me, is it's more of a reflection of the situation than Herbert's talent level at this point. I think Justin Herbert can be good. Hasn't done a damn thing at the NFL level yet. So you might be saying, well, hey, how do you have him ahead of Gardner Minshew? I just think Justin Herbert, again, there is more talent around him than Gardner Minshew. And I think in terms of pure talent, Justin Herbert is more talented than a Gardner Minshew or a Mitch Trubisky. And this is where it comes into play, like we were saying, the criteria surrounding talent, you know, yes, the pure talent comes into a play, but the surrounding situation, what situation a player's in, you know, we haven't got to the resume ones just yet. But this is where all these different criteria come into play. Let's go to number 27, down to Raleigh, North Carolina now. Check down Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. He was a first-round pick in 2014. Spent a lot of time in Minnesota. Started 28 games there. Started all 16 games for the Vikings in 2015, set career highs in yards with 3,231 and touchdowns in 2015 as well with just 14. Uh, it's a low number of touchdowns for 16 games, admittedly. Very, very low for 16 games. That's not even a touchdown a game. That's 19. That's John Brody numbers. 19, you know, late 1960s, back with leather helmets. You know, but nonetheless, he still kept the Saints viable with without Breeze when he uh, when Drew Breeze hit his thumb on Aaron uh, Aaron Donald's helmet, kept the Saints very much in contention, going five and zero in five starts. He's got a career completion percentage of sixty five percent, but again, he's Teddy Checkdown. It's mostly checkdowns. I like Teddy, but he's just not the type of guy that's going to put the team on his back and make a ton of throws downfield. It's not what he does. So he comes in at number twenty seven. Let's go to number 26. Let's go to South Beach. Tua Tagovailoa comes in at number 26. The first appearance by a lefty. Probably the only appearance by a lefty, actually, on this list. He's got uh, the highest passer, fisher, excuse me, highest passer efficiency rating in college football history. But when you look at it again, talent-wise, his numbers are – he got he to gotta help with those numbers. It was boosted by a loaded receiving core. Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs were both first-round picks this past April. You know, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, they're likely future first-rounders. That's what he had to work with. Not to mention he's protected by an NFL-caliber offensive line. Jonah Williams was a first-round pick in 2019. Jedrick Wills was a first-round pick this year. So that's what he's got to block for him. And that's what he's throwing to. That's a hell of a lot of talent. Not taking anything away from him. Just saying he had a lot to work with. But he does. He navigates the pocket. He goes through his reads and progressions. He's got incredible accuracy. And this goes to show you with the injuries. He takes a lot of unnecessary hits. He uses his body to add torque to his throws. He's got that injury history. You know, high ankle sprains in 2018 and 2019. He dislocated his hip this past season which some said affected his draft stock a little bit. Again, he still went fifth to Miami, so didn't didn't really seem to hurt him too much. I think Tua can be a good NFL quarterback if he's healthy and upright. And it also feels really weird to say that Miami is a better situation than San Diego. Feels really weird. Say the Dolphins are arguably a better situation than the Chargers. But I feel like those are two organizations that are going in opposite directions. 
I think Miami's on the come. They spent a ton of free agent money this year. Again, as Eagle fans know, that doesn't always equate to success. But it at least, at least you're trying, man. You're trying. <laughs> Number 25, Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. And it's funny, man. It, it, this is just goes to the depth, too, of, of the quarterbacks now in the NFL because I actually kind of like Josh Allen. You know, he's – the knock on him, though, it, it's obvious if you watch football. He's horrendous accuracy, 56% completion percentage in the first two years. He's got an – excuse me, a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 30-21 to 21 with 5,160 – excuse me, 5,163 yards. I like his mobility. It's surprising, but I like it. It adds another dynamic to that Buffalo offense. Through two years, he's got 1,141 rushing yards with 17 rushing touchdowns. 17. He's only thrown 30 passing touchdowns in two years, but he's got 17 on the ground. Jesus Christ. So bonus points for Josh Allen for leading the Bills to a 10-win season this past year when his best wideout was the human can of skull, Cole Beasley. You know, that... The trade, trading a first-rounder to Minnesota to add Stephon Diggs, that should help him because he hasn't, he hasn't had a weapon like Stephon Diggs yet to this point in his career. You know, again, it's been a lot of Cole Beasley, Zay Jones, just weird guys. So he's got an elite a top-end receiver now. It should help him. And he's got a playoff record of 0-1 after losing to Houston in the wild card this past year. So he comes in at number 25. We move on. We stay in the state of New York, or depending on how you want to look at it, we move to Jersey uh, for number 24. Give me Daniel Jones at number 24. And I got to admit, I got to admit, he looked better in his rookie season than I expected. He did. Still not great, but he put up respectable numbers. 3,027 yards with 24 touchdowns and 12 picks. He needs to take care of the football. 18 fumbles and interceptions in 13 games is way too many. That's averaging over a turnover a game, one half thereabouts off the top of my head. That's a lot. Okay? A lot of turnovers. If he can clean that up, you know, again, he looked better than I expected him to anyway. He excels against man coverage. Not a whole lot against zone, though, man. And that, I think, though, is a product of just being young. He was a rookie last year not understanding NFL coverage concepts. I think with with reps, that will kind of even itself out a little bit. You know, it, it, accuracy is a strength of his. He's better when running play action as opposed to just standing in the pocket. You know, he but he struggles – if his first read's not there, he struggles. That's his mechanics can get weird. And you have to, again, at the NFL level, you have to be able to go through your progressions and you've got to be able to adjust, keep those feet moving in the pocket and be able to – your first read's not always going to be there. So if he can clean that up, learn to read a defense a little bit better, learn the NFL coverage concepts, clean up those turnovers, you know, do this list again next year, maybe I think he could maybe find his way into the top 20 for sure. I was pleasantly surprised, even though fuck the Giants as an Eagles fan, you know, looked way better than I thought he would when they drafted him at six, admittedly. 
Number 23, I'm going to stick with the 2019 NFL draft. Give me the first overall pick, Kyler Murray, coming in at number 23, the offensive rookie of the year in 2019, even if it should have been Josh Jacobs. But, you know, quarterbacks get awards. That's that's the way it is. That's the way it is. He's he's more effective running RPOs than traditional dropbacks, and that shouldn't come as a surprise considering – you know, that's what he ran in Oklahoma. Shotgun, up-tempo, RPO-heavy offense there with Lincoln Riley. It seemed like in his rookie season, it, with him no longer being the best athlete on the field, it seemed like he kind of struggled with that a little bit. He struggled at time to make NFL reads, had difficulty identifying blitzes. You know, a lot of times he held the ball instead of throwing with that anticipation. Again, we talked about that with Herbert as well. you got to anticipate throws at the NFL level. This isn't the Pac-12 anymore. For the Big 12, you've got to anticipate those throws. You can't always wait for guys to come open. You've got to throw them open. So let's go ahead real quick before we jump to number 22. Let's recap 32 uh, through 23. Again, number 32, Jarrett Stidham. Number 31, Dwayne Haskins. Number 30 is Mitch Trubisky. 29, Gardner Minshew. 28 is Justin Herbert. Number 27 is Teddy Bridgewater. Number 26, Tua Tagovailoa. 25, Josh Allen, number 24, Danny Dimes, and number 23, Kyler Murray. Another live swig of monster for you. And we move on to number 22, Sam Darnold. And admittedly, he's one of these guys. Everybody has a guy. We'll get to another one later that will be way more of a shock than this ranking. Everybody has guys that they're – Excuse me. Everybody has guys that they're apologists for. Everybody does. Sam Darnold is one of those guys for me. And when I think of him, I always remember the 2017 Rose Bowl as a Penn State fan. USC versus Penn State, an absolute classic, despite the fact that USC won 52 to 49. Just a blast of a game to watch. Side note, New New Year's Day, underrated day of sports every year. You got the New Year's Six Bowl games, tremendous. This was one of them, obviously. Got the Winter Classic if you're a hockey fan. One of my favorite events in, in, on the sports calendar every year. If you tie one on, if you get super weird New Year's Eve, perfect day, order a pizza, be hungover, and just watch sports all day. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, underrated day in sports every year. Top five for me. But if you look at Sam Darnold, Back to uh, what we were talking about instead of my drunk rants. He's Darnold has the it factor. You know, he's got football character. He's got personal character. Off the field work ethic. Good leader. He's a bit of an improviser. When I, if you watch Sam Darnold, he's got, and I'm not comparing him to this because he hasn't played at this level yet necessarily, and I hate to give props to anybody that wears that goddamn star on their helmet, but he's got shades of Tony Romo in his game in terms of being able to improvise. You know, he finished on paper, he finished 2019 season well. The Jets went 6-2 and two in their final eight games. Darnold had a passer rating of 93.3. But, you know, he struggled getting his feet set last year. He's got poor footwork sometimes. That can lead to some erratic throws. He gets, he gets frantic in the face of pressure. But if you look at the Jets last year, it, it, th- that offensive line was atrocious which is the reason why with the 11th pick this past April, 
They drafted Makai Becton, offensive tackle out of Louisville. That should help a ton. You know, he's not – yet, Becton's not a tremendous run blocker. You know, he, he's got to develop that part of his game. But as a pass blocker, his presence should help. You know what I mean? Again, tremendous run blocker already. Just needs to develop as a pass blocker. I believe I got that wrong the first time. Great run blocker. Develop as a pass blocker. That pick will be beneficial if they can keep Darnold upright. You know, he can excel behind a good offensive line. He's shown glimpses of what he can do even behind a disaster of an offensive line through his first couple seasons. I think Darnold could be good just protect him. Number 21, the root of this debate, in a way, water water cooler talk at work, the office style, Dunder Mifflin Scranton. Number 21, Derek Carr. And again, it it just speaks to the depth of quarterbacks now because I I like Derek Carr. I don't I don't love him, but I like him. He's a good quarterback. He's capable. He was an MVP candidate in 2016 before he suffered a broken fibula in Week 16 that year. That was the year <laughs> that we got that just awful Connor Cook versus Brock Osweiler, Oakland Houston wild card game. Jesus, that was horrible. I mean, if and it's one of those things, too, you look at all the qualifiers around Derek Carr. If, if Antonio Brown didn't freeze his damn feet, Derek Carr could be higher on this list for sure. Having a playmaker like Antonio Brown, it helps. Ask Big Ben. You know what I mean? Again, I like Carr. Don't absolutely love him, but I like him a lot. He excels at getting that ball out quick. As a result, he 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 feels a tick quicker than the defense in the short game. Great short game passer. He's got efficient footwork, lightning fast throwing motion, good velocity. Henry Ruggs, there's a reason they drafted him. Again, I no offense to Mike Mayock, I would not have taken Henry Ruggs with Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb there on the board. But, you know, it, it, that's that's Mike Mayock's draft board, not mine. Nonetheless, I do expect Henry Ruggs to provide that deep threat element to the Raiders' offense. So, and again, that's where Carr, you know, used to, used to the quick game, you know, rhythm throws, might have to make those perimeter throws now along the sideline. I think he's capable of it. You know what I mean? He, You put some weapons around Derek Carr, I think he can be a, 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 a good quarterback in this league. He just, to this point, hasn't had a, a, a ton of weapons. Off the top of my head, without seeing the, the Oakland roster the last couple of years since he's been there, probably the best receiver he's had is an old-ass Jordy Nelson, who already had a foot in the grave. You know, since A.B. didn't actually play, since he was losing his mind. You know, so you add Henry Ruggs, that should rejuvenate Derek Carr's career 100%. This is one that I've got a feeling could jar some people considering the fact that uh, there has been literally zero play from this guy at the NFL level. And I've got a feeling, again, do this next year, he could be a lot higher. And the only reason he's this low is because he hasn't taken a snap in the NFL yet. At number 20, I'm going Joe Burrow. And again, I get he hasn't taken a snap in the NFL yet, but I, I, I'm one of these people, man. I believe Burrow can be a. I think he's a generational quarterback. I really, really do. I really, really do. And then you got Trevor Lawrence coming out next year as well. 
I think Burrow is a generational quarterback. He's got an elite football IQ. He's almost – I hesitate to make this comparison, but he's almost Peyton Manning-esque in terms of his pre-snap reads. And that's something you've got to be able to do at the NFL level, see what the defense has given you. He's able to create windows and manipulate defenders with his eyes to create throwing windows. He can throw his target open. You know, again, that's something we talked about with, with Herbert and Kyler Murray. You've got to be able to throw you guys open at the NFL level. Burrow can do that. He's able to keep his eyes. He keeps his eyes downfield and maneuvers in the pocket when he's pressured. He's got zero issue looking down the barrel of the gun and taking a hit to make a throw, to deliver a strike. No problem with that whatsoever. And you look again, this is where we talk about surrounding talent in a situation the quarterback's in. There's an argument to be made for the Bengals that they possibly have the best collective group of receivers in the NFL to work with for Joe Burrow. You look at A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross when he's healthy. They drafted T. Higgins with the first pick on day two of the draft. 33rd overall. Love that pick. When T. Higgins is going to be your fourth receiver on the depth chart, fucking hell, that's gross. Just Cincinnati, protect him. Protect Joe Burrow. They'll get Jonah Williams back. That's a help. Keep this guy upright. You know, you never know, man. You never know. I love Joe Burrow a lot. He comes in. Uh, as the highest of the rookie quarterbacks on this list, again, at number 20. Number 19, Matt Stafford. And I really wish Stafford didn't play in Detroit. (laughs) I really do. Stafford, he's tough as hell. He spent the majority of his career behind a subpar offensive line as a result of just overall ineptitude across the board organizationally in Detroit. But he's taken the Lions to the playoffs three times in his career, 2011, 2014, and 2016. I don't give a shit that he's never won a single game in the playoffs, that he's 0-3 in the playoffs. Just getting to Detroit to the playoffs three times in your career, that alone is an accomplishment by itself, for Christ's sake. He's tallied tallied over 41,000 yards through 11 years, 62.5% completions, with 256 touchdowns and 134 picks in his career. He currently ranks 18th in all-time regular season passing yardage. 18th. Matt Stafford is in the top 20 all-time passing yardage. A lot of us the product of a fantasy football happy world we live in, but nonetheless he finds himself there. Finally, at this point in his career, he's got a presence of a viable running game in on Johnson and DeAndre Swift. That should take the pressure off Stafford during his later years. Hadn't had a running game through... very much of his career. Now he's got a great two-headed monster in Carrion Johnson, DeAndre Swift. He hasn't, that again, that hasn't always been an element of Detroit's offense. You know, he was expected to do so much early in his career as a first overall pick in 2009 that it's almost unfair. (laughs) And I, I hate to use that word, especially given what we opened the show with. But He holds the NFL record for most passing attempts in a single season. In 2012, Matt Stafford threw 727 passes. (laughs) What the fuck? So, again, love Stafford. He's a joy to watch. Tough as hell. I just wish, for his sake, 
He didn't play in Detroit. At number 18, here's a guy I'm really, really, really high on. Love this guy. And this is if if, if we were going to do sleeper teams, uh, this is absolutely my AFC sleeper team this year. At 18, I'm going Drew Locke. Huge fan of this guy. Loved him at Missouri. Loved him coming out in last year's draft. He brought the Broncos back from the dead last year. Denver was 3-8 and eight when he took over, but they finished 4-1 and one over their final five games with him under center. He put up 1,020 yards with seven TDs, three picks. He completed 64% of his passes. When you watch Drew Locke, his arm strength jumps off the screen at you. Absolutely pops. He can make all the throws. He knows when to add touch to the balls or turn the heat up. You know what I mean? He's effective when he scrambles. He can escape the pocket, keep his eyes downfield, makes throws at awkward angles, under pressure. He's capable of quickly reading a defense and can anticipate routes again. There's that word again, and make throws before receivers even made their break. And, and it, it, rookie quarterback is to be expected. Struggled with consistent accuracy. Uh, only 73% of his throws were considered on target. You know, again, he's got insane arm talent. It allows him the ability to get away with bad mechanics like throwing off balance. But with that arm strength and being able to anticipate throws and, and you know, to his, his skill set I love. And you also look at the fact that, you know, the Broncos – John Elway doubled down at receiver in the draft this year. Jerry Judy in the first round, K.J. Hamler in the second, Penn State alum. You add those two to Cortland Sutton, it's gross. That's a problem, those three. Number 17, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, possibly the most polarizing quarterback in the NFL. And, this is, again, one of those where you look at surrounding talent because I'll be honest with you, without taking anything else into consideration, I would take Burrow, Joe Burrow and Drew Locke over Baker Mayfield in a vacuum. I would. You know, Baker struggles with those pure dropback concepts. He's most effective running RPOs, which it, it, they provide a clear read and force him to get rid of the ball quickly. He's efficient running play action as well. And, and – Given the weapons around Baker, along with being drafted first overall, the expectation's elevated. That's just the way it goes. You've got Beckham, Landry, Nick Chubb in the backfield. You added Austin Hooper in free agency, Cleveland did. But that O-line was a mess in 2019. Baker's also had four you know, head coaches in three seasons. You go back to Hugh Jackson, Greg Williams, Freddie Kitchens, that debacle last year. Now they've got Kevin Stefanski former Minnesota offensive coordinator. So that, again, that's where we, you know, like Stafford in Detroit, that instability from an organization doesn't help a quarterback. It doesn't. Neither does a terrible O-line like they had last year. Baker's running for his life a lot of times. But Cleveland added two tackles. Jack Conklin in free agency, Jedrick Wills in the draft. It, it, given the addition of those two, it, it, point blank, Baker's out of excuses if he can't get the job done in 2020. Point blank. You now have a plethora of talent around you in the backfield, on the perimeter, tight end upgrade, Hooper, pair him with Njoku, double tight ends, and now your offensive line's been upgraded. You are fresh out of excuses if you're Baker Mayfield if you go 6-10 and 10 this year. Not going to cut it. So 
as we reach the halfway point of this countdown, I want to just quickly recap uh, what we just did as well from number 22 through number 17 just before we break into the top half. At number 22 was Sam Darnold. 21 was Derek Carr. Number 20, Joe Burrow. Number 19, Matt Stafford. 18 was Drew Locke. And number 17 was Baker Mayfield. So now <clears throat> we break into the top half of our countdown. Again, 32 quarterbacks in league starters. We are now at number 16. So this is kind of it again. It, it, I feel like once you get kind of maybe anywhere from, I don't know, within this pocket right here, it's kind of hair splitting, right? It's a matter of personal preference. And this is where this is kind of where the resume kind of comes into play, that element a little bit. Remember we were talking about your surrounding talent, your situation with your organization, you know, the pure talent comes into play as well, but also taking resume into account. This is kind of where where that third one kind of starts to kick in because starting off our top half of the league in terms of quarterback rankings, at number 16, I'm going with Jimmy Garoppolo, porn star Jimmy. And I will I will give you that he's the beneficiary of having Kyle Shanahan at the helm. Absolutely. And it's it's – you know, it's a bipolar experience watching Jimmy G. It really is. He'll make some head-scratching throws, but at the same time, he also delivers, you know, some throws that show flashes of him being a franchise quarterback. I don't think this whole angle that Jimmy Garoppolo is just a game manager to me is a myth. I, I don't know. when I it, Personally, when I think game manager, I think Alex Smith. I can't speak for anybody else. Some will, oh, I think of Jimmy G. That's fine. I think of Alex Smith, and personally, in my opinion, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback than Alex Smith, in my opinion. You know, spoiler alert, though, I was never a big Alex Smith guy. You know, I feel for him what happened to his leg. I'm glad he was able to save it. You know, I don't want a dude walking around without a limb because I just didn't like him that much as a quarterback. But that's what I think when I think game manager, not Jimmy Garoppolo. He's better than Alex Smith. He's solid pre-snap. He knows when to make the easy read. Easy read. Knows when to make the throw. He's got a tight delivery. He gets rid of the ball quickly. Nice accuracy. He makes good clutch situational football plays on third downs late in the fourth quarter. He's come through for San Francisco. I fucking love the talent around him. Even with, okay, Emmanuel Sanders is down in New Orleans now. Okay. They still got Debo Samuel. You guys know how high I am on Brandon Ayuk. They've got those two. George Kittle at tight end. San Francisco's a more run-heavy offense than most in this era. They had, I think, the second highest rate in the league. They ran the ball in like 49, almost 50% of their plays last year. But, and again, with Garoppolo, he will misread a coverage from time to time. He threw just a, just a painful interception to Minnesota linebacker Eric Kendricks in that divisional playoff game. Just completely, completely hit him right in the gut. And, again, like we said, resume here. Having gone to a Super Bowl helps his case, even if you have to credit, you know, that Niners, the loaded defensive line, it, he still got there. He was, a, re, he was a, a contributing factor as to why. And, again, this is another one where, in a vacuum, 
if you're asking me as a GM purely who I would take, I would I would go Joe Burrow and Drew Locke over Jimmy Garoppolo as well. But again, this is where that surrounding talent and resume come into play. Jimmy Garoppolo, like it or not, has been to a Super Bowl. It's got to count for something, right? So he's at number 16. Number 15, Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch, even though I, I partially resent the Titans for taking the Oilers away from everybody. Uh, it, it was fun to watch his resurgence in Tennessee and to help them just a perennially just average in the hunt eight and eight fucking lingerer team in Tennessee. It was, f- it was enjoyable to help to watch him help them get to the AFC championship, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I stumbled through that a lot there. I was trying to formulate that it was fun to watch a team that I kind of hate for no stu- no reason at all get to the AFC Championship because Ryan Tannehill resurged his career there. Fun stuff. And it's no secret the offense primarily operates on the ground through Derrick Henry, right? It's like a house. He's like a Volkswagen back there. But, again, just like Jimmy Garoppolo, Tannehill's far from a game manager, man. It just Just because you have in 2019, 2020 teams that are run heavy, it doesn't mean the quarterbacks are just back there hanging out. Tannehill completed 70% of his passes in 2019, only 2,742 yards, but he threw 22 touchdowns, six interceptions, excellent touchdown-to-interception ratio. That's nice. Didn't turn the ball over a lot, right? Completed 78% of his throws on play action. He's great at hitting those intermediate dig routes against zone coverage. You know, those deep routes from the far hash, those incredibly – Possibly the most difficult throw in the NFL, those deep out routes from the far hash mark. He can make those. He checks down when necessary. He doesn't risk turning the ball over again. Only six picks. He can make deep throws on the perimeter. You know, it, 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 like a lot of guys, he's not the only one that's guilty of doing this. He'll hold on to the ball and take an unnecessary sack or two. Got a tendency to lock onto a receiver. Not, not awesome at going through his progressions. That's a, that's a big knock in my book. Again, as we said, that's important. You can't lock on to a guy. If you do, it's got to be in the short game. Get it out quick. You know, he, again, he helped his case this past year, too, going 2-1 and in the playoffs uh, for his career and did so all this past season after shocking New England and then shocking Baltimore this past year. You know, ultimately lost to the Chiefs, again, the eventual Super Bowl champions in the AFC Championship game. And if you look at those three playoff games, he only threw for 369 yards. Not a lot. Not a lot at all. But he's got a touchdown and interception ratio in those three playoff games of 5-1. to one. Solid. Again, doesn't turn the ball over. That's what you're getting with Ryan Tannehill. You're not getting a guy who's going to chuck it all over the field. He's not a Patty Mahomes. He's not. He's not Drew Brees. He'll make plays for you. He's just not going to turn the ball over. Nice quarterback. I've got him at number 15. Number 14, Jared Goff. And his situation to me is much like Jimmy Garoppolo. I think much like Jimmy G, Goff benefits from having an offensive mind like a Sean McVay. You know what I mean? McVay does – he does such a great job of scheming players open. You know, every single play, he's got those shallow outlets underneath and every single play call McVay does. That helps. That helps a quarterback 
a lot. But Goff can make those throws into those tight windows. He throws a good deep ball. He's got nice arm strength. Accurate when he's given time. He's typically outstanding on play action. Again, that's that's McVay doing his work there. You know, he regressed last year almost across the board. The only area in 2018, excuse me, 2019 is last year. Now we're in 2020. The only area where he was above average last year was those little intermediate routes in the middle of the field. He excels at those. But he's got to be more aware of those underneath defenders, right? Starters along the offensive line, they constantly rotated last year. That should be more stable this year. Therefore, it affords Goff the opportunity to return to his 2018 form. Again, when he's given time, he's accurate. The Rams kept starting guard Austin Blythe. They brought back Andrew Whitworth, who's old as fuck, but he's still one of the league's best tackles. You can't lose a guy like that. They brought him back. You know, I think the lack of a running game, when you run all that play action that Sean McVay and the Rams do, the lack of a running game last year hurt Jared Goff a lot. You know what I mean? But they drafted Cam Akers out of Florida State in the second round. I think that that's a nice pick when you look at bringing, kind of formulating that element back into that Rams offense a little bit because I think Cam Akers is going to be a nice pro. I don't think he's going to set the world on fire. He's not going to be like Todd Gurley was, but he's definitely going to be respectable. That's a nice pick for the Rams. Should help Goff that and retain the O-line to help him return a little bit to the form he had his Super Bowl year. Again, Goff's just one of those guys, he's not going to do it himself. He needs help. He's not the only one in the league. Doesn't mean he's garbage. Speaking of Number 13, Dak Prescott. And I just want to leave him there. I don't even want to touch a Cowboys quarterback, if I'm being honest. I really, really don't. You know what? But you got to – fandom aside, he did. He set career highs for passing yards last year, 4,902, threw 30 touchdown passes, 8.2 yards per attempt, in 2019 again I hate saying anything good about the star but he's got good mobility and athleticism he doesn't give up on a play great poise in the pocket he keeps his eyes downfield he he's patient while going through his progressions he's got a nice delivery there's not a lot of wasted motion there you know and to his credit he takes some risks he's not afraid to throw it up to a receiver that's in tight one-on-one coverage you know, those crossing routes, those crosses are a staple of the Dallas offense. Dak can hit those with ease. He can hit them with ease. He can make any throw from a clean pocket. If you want to prevent him from going deep, just bring the heat. Bring pressure. Bring pressure in Dak's face. He gets rid of the ball quickly, checks it down against the blitz. And, again, he's, they've, Dallas has done a hell of a job at surrounding Dak with a ton of weapons, just a plethora. You got Zeke in the backfield. Fuck that guy. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup coming off his first 1,000-yard season this past year. And they added C.D. Lamb in the draft because they fell in, you know, he, he, he fell in their lap. But despite all that talent, one and two record in the playoffs for Dak Prescott. One and two record in the playoffs. That's why he finds himself outside the top ten. 
So he comes in at number 13. At number 12, Ben Roethlisberger. And this this was a hard one to kind of pinpoint where I wanted to go here with Big Ben because he's it, it, just just missing last year so much time and not knowing at his age where he's going to come back, how he's going to look when he comes back this year at 38 years old. But, you know, again, this is, like we said, resume with the current situation. He's currently eighth, eighth all-time in passing yards, 56,545. And he's ninth all-time in passing touchdowns with 363, just one behind Aaron Rodgers for eighth all-time. Like we just said, Big Ben's 38. He's entering this year having coming off an elbow surgery. There's no way of knowing how he's going to look in advance. If that elbow is 100% and there's been no loss significantly of arm strength, there's really no reason to believe that he won't be able to play at a high level again for another year or two. You know, he's got sort of an unconventional style to his play, and it probably has something to do with the fact that he's built like a fucking Chevy Suburban. (laughs) You know, he can shed rushers, get in position to make throws. He stands in the pocket facing pressure. He can deliver the ball with accuracy, can throw from different platforms without having his feet set. He's had 10, taken uh, the Steelers to the playoffs 10 times in his career. Playoff record of 13-8. and eight. He's been to five AFC championships, going 3-2, and 2-1 two, two and one in Super Bowls. And, again, we all know the loss of Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown going back to, you know, this time last year. That's well documented. But I think the addition of second-round pick Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame, I think that, you know, it, it – that's huge, man, because it gives him another weapon opposite Juju. It's somebody else, and that guy's a physical freak, man. So if you're a defense now, you can't just you can't just lock on Juju. You have to respect Claypool as well, given his size and skill set. So that, I think, will help kind of revitalize Big Ben coming off this elbow issue as he gets closer to 40 again. I think if he doesn't lose a ton of arm strength, you know, he there's there's a year or two left there for sure. Not saying he's going to go to another Super Bowl or anything like that, but given his resume, you know, I, you know, like what he's done. This is the one that I think it was it was Sam Darnold when I referenced everybody's got guys that are an apologist for. This is the other guy I was referencing, and uh, <laughs> I laughed to myself when I was putting this list together, and this guy was still there at this point. And it actually feels right to me, man. It does. But I know as soon as I say the name just outside the top 10, just missing the top 10, that people are going to go, what the hell is he on? So at number 11, just missing the cut to the top 10, give me Kirk Cousins. And I feel like that gasp or that what the fuck you just blurted out was – largely due to the three-year $84 million fully guaranteed contract. It's easy to say. It's easy to poke fun at that, right? Because that's what we do now. But the reality is Minnesota doesn't remain viable in terms of contenders in the NFC with Case Keenum at quarterback. It just doesn't happen. That that year was lightning in a bottle, okay? Much like, if we're going to be honest, much like Nick Foles was, Super Bowl year, man. Much like Flacco was a couple years ago with Baltimore. 
that level of it's not sustainable, and it wasn't with Case Keenum. You have to make a move at quarterback if you were Minnesota. You know, their window to win a Super Bowl is now. Would you rather do it with Case Keenum or with Kirk Cousins? Of course, you're going to have to pay more for a Kirk Cousins than a Case Keenum, a career backup, and a clipboard holder. Clipboard holder. Kirk Cousins is going to cost more. You know, you get what you pay for. There's some people out there laughing. Oh, Minnesota didn't get what they paid for. Ha, ha, ha. Look, it, it, as soon as that contract was signed, any level of fairness with Cousins went out the window. Okay, but last year he finished fifth in completion percentage, finished sixth in touchdown rate, seventh in yards per attempts, fourth in passer rating. Uh, you know, does that sound like a bad quarterback to you, man? If I just gave you those numbers and said, would you take this guy? You know, depending on your quarterback situation, hell yeah, you would. He played a huge role in Minnesota's 10-6 and six record. You know, if you go back to the wild card this past year, man, at, at New Orleans, Cousins makes a walk-off touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph after outplaying Drew Brees in the Dome in New Orleans in the playoffs. Think about that. That, that, that Dome in New Orleans is one of those places with that mystique we talk about that's impossible to win if you're a road team. He goes in there with a walk-off touchdown, gets the job done, advances seemingly – Shaking the narrative of a guy that can't win the big game. But, of course, as we know now, a week later against San Francisco in the divisional round, he came up short. He came up short. And, again, Cousins wasn't the only quarterback that the Niners defense <laughs> made look bad last year. Not at all. He did leave plays on the field in that game, though. You know, it. it, it I think he hit uh, Stephon Diggs for, I believe, like a 41-yard touchdown on their opening drive to tie the game up 7-7 with San Francisco. And Dalvin Cook had been bottled up by the Niners' defense pretty much that entire game early on, especially. So Kevin Stefanski kept giving him the ball, though. Kept handing the ball off to Dalvin Cook, despite the fact that, like, it wasn't working. And Minnesota's down by multiple scores. This is the playoffs here, you know? Eventually, San Francisco, they just they knew it was coming. Cousins was screwed. That's the last image we have of them, though. And that what we see last is what we tend to remember for collectively most people. You know what I mean? That's the last image we have of them is him looking overwhelmed by a team that was minutes away from being Super Bowl champions. You know? But he finally, finally kind of got a little monkey off his back with that elusive playoff win. Took a step forward this year, man. And it, even with the departure of Stephon Diggs, there's still plenty of talent there, man. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, first-round pick. Dalvin Cook's still there. They had a great draft. That's going to help, man. Minnesota, one of my favorite drafts. They took Ezra Cleveland in the second round again, addressed that O-line, high draft pick in the second round. Nice pick, left tackle out of Boise State. Defensive picks. You know, they loaded up Jeff Gladney, corner out of TCU in the first round. James Lynch out of Baylor. Troy Dye out of Oregon. You know, it that makes the defense more formidable, which means Cousins, in theory, shouldn't have to do so much. Which gives him less opportunities to make the mistakes that the internet makes fun of him for. So there you go. All right, we are approaching top 10 territory here, ladies and gentlemen. Real quickly before we do, let's recap. Number 16, 
Jimmy Garoppolo. Number 15, Ryan Tannehill. Number 14, Jared Goff. Number 13, Dak Prescott. Number 12, Big Ben. And number 11, Kirk Cousins. Which brings in at number 10, Phillip Rivers. And despite having one of the most bizarre throwing motions I've ever seen, Phillip Rivers has put together a Hall of Fame resume. You know, it, it, it's his first year with the Colts, but he arrives as basically the walking Chargers history book for quarterbacks. He's their all-time leader in passing yards with 59,271, 370, excuse me, 397 passing touchdowns and their all-time completion percentage leader with just under 65%. He's won 123 games in San Diego, pretty much, again, several other categories as well. He is the Chargers history book, completely just erased Dan Fouts everywhere and just plastered his own name all over it. This will be his second time playing under Colts head coach Frank Reich, who was the Chargers offensive coordinator from 2014 to 2016. So there's familiarity there on both sides. And, again, Rivers is getting older too as well. Like we just talked about Big Ben, how he's – you know, turning 38 this year. Rivers just played his 38-year-old season. You know, he was 38 this past year, but still anticipates throws under pressure, has great timing, allows receivers to create yards after the catch. He's able to read a defense, locate the best matchup in order to keep the offense moving. Still, after all these years, has nice accuracy and touch. He trusts his receivers, which allows new elements to the Colts' offense, like back shoulder throws. Rivers is good at those. Not a lot of those last year in the Colts. But Jacoby Brissett, Rivers brings that to the table. If he's got a matchup he likes, he'll try and thread the needle in tight coverage. It, it Look, it leads to dangerous passes, but an offense tends to be more successful with a QB that has that mindset as opposed to being non-aggressive and just dormant. You know what I mean? Again, check down Teddy. Rivers has led the Chargers to the playoffs five times, been to one AFC championship, lost to New England in 2007. Record of 4-4 four and four in the playoffs in his career. And I like Rivers still at a high level because going to Indianapolis with the Colts, he's got the luxury of working behind one of the best offensive lines in that league, bar none. Bar none. Rivers still plays football at a high level. You know, if he's going to go out, you know, Colts, dark horse, maybe. No pun intended, but, you know, I, I think, look, the AFC South is a mess, man. You know, it's it's not outside of them in Tennessee, man. That's, that's you know, flip a coin. It's like the birds and the Cowboys in the NFC East. Number nine, Matt Ryan. He's 10th all-time in career passing yards with 51,186. He's about a game behind John Elway, only 289 yards behind Elway for the ninth spot. Owns every meaningful passing record in Atlanta history. 321 passing touchdowns. That's also good for 11th all-time in NFL history. Got a career completion percentage of 65.4. Won the league MVP in 2016. Again, just just a just a heady veteran. Understands defenses. He's a rhythm quarterback. Great timing. He's aggressive enough to make those difficult throws when it's necessary. He can manipulate a secondary with his eyes. Makes throws with a pocket collapsing around him. All those veteran things that you want to see. Matt Ryan still does them at a high level. He's taken the Falcons to the playoffs six times in his career. Postseason touchdown to interception ratio of 20 to 7. Four and six record in the playoffs. Lost Super Bowl 51 after being up on New England, obviously, as we all know, 28 to 3. 
Hate to lob that number out there again because it would give me PTSD as well if I was a Falcons fan. But again, that loss wasn't it, – it's not Matt Ryan's fault, man. You know, but for those who obsess over championships now, yeah, of course it would have helped if he had one. Number eight, this is where shit gets good, man. I mean, I hope it's been good this whole time. Don't get me wrong. Thank you for listening if you're still here. But this is where, as I'm putting it together, I'm like, okay. Okay. Number eight's Tom Brady. And I'm not I'm not going through his resume on an Eagles podcast. First of all, you should already know. Second of all, just for obvious reasons, no. And it, it, it's always funny to me with Brady, man. You know, age catches up to everybody. It did with Brett Favre. It did with Peyton Manning. And regardless of how many fucking kale shakes Brady consumes, it, age finally appeared to reduce him to a shell of his former self last year to a degree. And, you know, it. granted, save for maybe douchebag Edelman and no douchebag Gronk, they, New England had just a bunch of pedestrian dudes for him to work with. I like Nikhil Harry a lot, their first-round pick in 2019, receiver out of Arizona State. I like him a lot, but he was injured the majority of his rookie year. Brady's tenure in New England ending with a pick six pick six against the Titans was just just a pleasure to watch. Just a joy to watch. And but again, that said, I can see a brief revival of TB in Tampa. I can. I'm a mark for Bruce Arians. He was my personally, he was my first choice for the next Eagles head coach post Andy Reid. I love the I don't know how anyone could not the overall offensive upgrade around Brady going from New England to Tampa. You know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, shout out Penn State alum. That's the, I mean, in terms of duos, one, two, that's the best receiver duo in the NFL right there. Receiver one, receiver two, Evans, Godwin, boom, boom. Best duo in the league, bar none. You know, he's got a decent offensive line to work behind. Ronald Jones is as eh, a running back. Keyshawn Vaughn, you know, third rounder this year out of Vanderbilt. Yeah, I guess, I mean, they're capable backs, man. I mean, I, I don't think Brady's, Brady hadn't had, you know, Corey Dillon back in the mid-2000s. Other than that, man, I mean, again, what he's he's not operating with a, with a you know, a Christian McCaffrey or anything like that out of the backfield. So, that, you know, he'll be fine with these guys. And it, while the NFC has more legitimate Super Bowl contenders than the AFC – I don't think it's debatable that Tampa gives Brady a better opportunity to chase another championship than New England. I don't think it's debatable. More talent around him. Damn good coach. You know, he's in a position to succeed there, even if he's going to look goofy as hell in a Bucks jersey. And uh, this is going to be – this is the one I circled, other than the obvious one. When putting this list together, I could not wait to get to number seven on this countdown. So I could announce the name at number seven, Lamar Jackson. Now, I get it, man. It's it's blasphemy to put the reigning MVP of the NFL anywhere outside the top five. But you got to remember, it's still a relatively small sample size, man. Okay? 
he was the best in it. I get why this is probably scoffed at if you're listening right now. He was the best quarterback in terms of fantasy points in 2019. So it might – I know it feels like he should be right there with Patrick Mahomes, right? But the fact is he took a huge step forward this past season. You know, credit, credit, credit Baltimore. Again, such a class organization. They are top to bottom so damn good. It's why they're always relevant. They're always in the picture. Credit them for completely renovating the offense to fit Lamar Jackson in 2019. Marty Morningweg, get the hell out of here. They bring in Greg Roman as offensive coordinator. Great call. And, you know, again, if you look back at, at, at Lamar's rookie year with Marty Morningweg, who Eagles fans are familiar with, not that great, in my opinion. Never, never really cared for the guy. Lamar only started seven games his rookie season, completed 58% of his passes for 1,201 yards, six touchdowns, three picks. Okay? Again, that's only through seven games, not 16. But last year, his completion percentage jumped from 58 to 66%, led the league in touchdown passes with 36, first in the league, only through six picks. Only through six picks. Not to mention, he also set the NFL rookie, excuse me, the NFL rushing record just in general by a quarterback with 1,206 yards and another seven touchdowns on the ground. So all, all together, you combine 43 touchdowns he's accountable for. He's got a strong arm. He's good in the quick game passing. Again, like we discussed with Derek Carr, he's very timely with his throws. But it, 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 the, the thing with the quick passing game is it's imperative that there be no wasted motion. <coughs> you know, the timing has to be precise on point right there and Lamar does exactly that every time he understands opposing coverages how they should work against a given route concept you know if his first reads covered he usually understands where to go next and what should be open to keep the offense moving upfield and what I noticed about Lamar everybody may not agree man but this is just an observation I made He's a very emotional player, which can be a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing when, like much of the regular season, things are going well. But in the case of the divisional playoff loss to Tennessee, when, you know, your team falls behind early, things aren't clicking, you could you could see him visibly become frustrated. And it that's not it, – it's not the only reasons the Titans upset the Ravens. It's not. But it's definitely a factor and worth noting, in my opinion. And not to mention, quarterbacks like him also, they, have a, they tend to not have a ton of longevity in the NFL. I think Lamar Jackson's absolutely a better quarterback than Michael Vick, but he's going to have to continue to, to, to grow in terms of intelligence for the game, which took a big leap last year. He's going to have to continue to nuance his game, to continue to play at a high level for the next eight to ten years, point blank with the style of play that he plays. So that's those are my thoughts on Lamar Jackson. Again, still top 10. And we did, you know, did this a year ago. Lamar Jackson being in the top 10 would have been a mind fuck, but now because he's the reigning MVP, him at 7 feels low, but that's where I've got him. Which brings me to number 6. Deshaun Watson. And it, it, he's one of the best deep passers in the NFL, first of all, and it's a shame that they traded away arguably the best receiver in the league in DeAndre Hopkins. Houston did, which leaves Deshaun Watson with an often injured Will Fuller. <laughs> you know, they also got Kenny Stills as well, who's a nice deep threat. 
They brought in Randall Cobb, who's a nice piece, but he's far from DeAndre Hopkins. Let's be honest. You can't play. Don't don't give him a single high safety look because he'll make you pay with those deep crossers and phase routes. He's great at extending plays. He can buy time with his mobility. Doesn't scramble into traffic. He moves away from it to ensure he's got the space to pull up and throw. Not afraid to take a hit to make a play. He can be dangerous when he improvises. Sometimes he trusts his feet way too much, and he can resort to poor fundamentals like throwing off his back foot rather than stepping up into the pocket. Holds the ball for too long sometimes, which gets him sacked when coupled with less than ideal offensive line play. He's taken Houston to the playoffs each of the last two years, going one and two in the postseason with his lone playoff win coming against Buffalo in this past year's wild card thriller. That was a fun game to watch. He's got nice years as well. Excuse me, nice numbers as well for three, three years. Completion percentage of 67%, thrown for just under 10,000 yards, and a touchdown to interception ratio of 71 to 29. So we now get into the top five. There's a certain name that's still missing on this list. If you're not an Eagles fan, you're wondering when I'm going to get to him. But first, let's recap the first half of the top five. At number 10, I've got Phillip Rivers. Number nine, Matt Ryan. Number eight, Tom Brady. Number seven, the reigning NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson. And number six, Deshaun Watson. So now we are into our top five. And call me a homer all you want. But at number five, I've got Carson Wentz. And I'll be honest, the tiebreaker between, because I love Deshaun Watson, but the tiebreaker between Carson and Deshaun Watson was the surrounding talent. You know, in my opinion, the Birds have just done a better job putting pieces around Carson. Houston just traded away Watson's best receiver, as we just said. So that, to me, is a tiebreaker here. And again, you can call this bias as hell, but I believe it's accurate, given the criteria. Again, this isn't current all-time resume. You know what I mean? A lot of people forget because injuries and Foles is the guy that won the Super Bowl that Wentz was the MVP candidate. Favorite. In 2017, before he tore his ACL against the Rams in Week 14. And while Foles may have finished the job. Make no mistake about it, Super Bowl 52 does not happen without Carson Wentz, people. Point blank. If you can't if you can't see how talented Carson Wentz is, just do to me anyway. You can do it with the guy in the bar that's had 17 Jack and Cokes and is pissing all over himself, but please don't talk football again. Because the talent is so it's obvious. And again, it, this might piss a lot of Eagles fans off by saying this. In my opinion, he's the most talented quarterback in the history of this franchise. That's a, a, a conversation for another day, though. But just just, just watch him. He stands confidently in the pocket. He allows a play to develop. Gets his feet set. Steps into his throws. He's got phenomenal mechanics and fundamentals. Doesn't turn the ball over. He's got a career high of 14 interceptions in his rookie year. Since then, he's only thrown seven picks in each of his other three seasons. Seven. He possesses the athleticism and size at 6'5", 237, to shake off sacks and extend plays, throw on the run with accuracy. He remains mobile under pressure. Scrambles to his left. He can scramble to his right. He's able to reset his feet and make a throw with proper mechanics. Doug Peterson has placed a lot of trust in Carson in terms of checks at the line of scrimmage. A lot. 
You see that all the time. Kill, kill. Peterson gives him that authority at the line of scrimmage. He's excellent, Carson is, at going through his progressions, reading a defense. He can get to his third or fourth read progression or third or fourth progression. Most quarterbacks would have already bailed. Carson will go all the way to third and four. He's the only quarterback in 2019 to make the playoffs without a 1,000-yard rusher or a 1,000-yard receiver. He is also the only quarterback, and I've mentioned this stat before, and it's always my go-to because it's a mind fuck. He's the only quarterback in NFL history to make the playoffs without a single wide receiver having over 500 yards receiving. Think about how difficult that is, fantasy football guy. There's no better testament to his ability to make a play. And if if it, the knock on him again, I will I'll cop to this, is accuracy. His career completion percent is just under 64%. He'll miss – he, look, he'll miss a throw or two that will leave you scratching your head. But he can make all the throws necessary at the NFL level. Again – could be high. You may think it's high. Love to hear your comments. Again, at Grease Pole Podcast. Feel free. Eagles fan or not. What do you think? Too high? Too low? Non-Eagles fans are absolutely going to think it's too high. But, you know, again, feedback. So Carson Wentz at number five. Now that I've got the just the disgusting Homer pick out of the way. Carson Wentz kicks off our top five. Number four, I got Aaron Rodgers. And now, despite the fact he's clearly not the best leader, which is kind of an important part of being a quarterback. He's an all-time great in terms of talent, point blank. He's 13th all-time in passing yards with just under 47,000. He ranks 8th all-time in passing touchdowns with 364. Great arm strength. Great arm strength. No glaring weakness in his game. He's got that Super Bowl under his belt, defeating Pittsburgh in Super Bowl 45. He's taken Green Bay to the playoffs 10 times. 10-8 and eight record in the postseason, including four trips to the NFC Championship. If you're going to – if there's any one thing to knock Rodgers on, it's, res, it's his resume in NFC Championship games. He's gone 1-3 and three in NFC title games. And in those four games, he's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns, 7-6. to six. Seven picks, six touchdowns. In those four NFC Championship games has Aaron Rodgers. You know, again, the Packers' defense improved greatly in 2019. That gives him a hockey assist this coming year, but they didn't draft a single receiver in the most heavy receiver class possibly ever. You know, it, their GM, Brian Gutekunst, however the hell you pronounce his name, Gutekunst, whatever that shit is, he failed him. But, again, Super Bowl, he's got the resume, man. Pure talent, one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. That gets you into the top five. Rodgers still has quite a few years left ahead of him. Number three, Drew Brees. And I've called this guy a compiler in the past, and I still kind of firmly believe that because it's very, very bizarre that he gags away in the playoffs. Or you can say that the refs do, but let there be let there be an individual record on the line, and he will come out and fucking light the world on fire. Will Drew Brees. Again. But that said, he is the NFL's all-time passing yardage leader, 77,416 yards currently, and he's also the all-time passing touchdowns leader as well in NFL history with 547, only six ahead of Tom Brady, who's sitting at 541. He's got the league's best quarterback rating when under pressure last year, 
did Drew Brees. And like Brady, age will eventually catch up to him if it hasn't already started to slowly happen. But in the meantime, he's got the most productive receiver. Maybe not the best, but most productive for sure. Receiver in the NFL at his disposal in Michael Thomas, an elite do-it-all gadget of a running back in Alvin Kamara, and an offensive line that, you know, the team continues to invest in. Look at this past year, first-round pick Cesar Ruiz, center. That's the reason why Breeze is able to play into his 40s, you know, because he he's not taking a ton of hits. Aside from his personal records, it, it, perhaps he's, be he's best known for his accuracy. He's also the NFL's career completion percentage leader with 67.6%. That's an NFL record. Eight and eight in the playoffs with nine trips to the postseason, one with San Diego, eight with New Orleans, and defeated Peyton Manning and the Colts in Super Bowl 44 to bring the Saints their first and only championship. Number two, if you're keeping score at home, there's only two people left. Coming in as the runner-up, God, it sucks to put this guy here because he aggravates me. But at number two, Russell Wilson. And it, it, I'm a firm believer that Seattle would be just a mess without him. In all honesty, dumpster dweller. If you look at the talent that Wilson has, God's favorite quarterback, because Russell Wilson thinks God has nothing better to do than watch Seahawks games on Sunday, apparently. But if you look at the talent he's had to work with throughout his career, like, okay, you've got Doug Baldwin. Marshawn Lynch, yeah. Those are the best weapons he's had. Aside from that, it's been a bunch of like Sidney Rice, Zach Miller, Jermaine Curse, Luke Wilson. With two L's, Luke Wilson. Wilson. Thomas Rawls, Robert Turbins. Like, th this is the guys he's had to work with, yet he's dragged Seattle to the playoffs seven out of his eight seasons. They're no longer built around an all-time great defense, and still they're, they're able to remain viable every damn year. Somehow he's become used to working around behind a horrendous offensive line. He's become accustomed to it. He's able to extend plays with his legs, improvise, constantly pulling points out of his ass. It feels like every game the Seahawks play is decided by less than a field goal. More often than not, you know, he wills them to victory. He's just he's he's a great example of why you can't judge players based solely on stats because his numbers don't always jump off the page at you. It's his athleticism and his ability that, you know, somehow he saves his biggest plays for situations that require them the most. Again, clutch situations. That's why every Seahawks game is tight. They rarely they rarely beat the hell out of anybody. Anybody rarely beats the hell out of them. Rarely turns the ball over as well. 11 picks is his career high. When he runs, he does it smart. He slides feet first. He doesn't take unnecessary hits. Carson, he's got a record of 9-6 and six in the playoffs. He's 2-0 and oh in NFC Championship games and 1-1 one and one in Super Bowls, having embarrassed the Peyton Manning-led Broncos in Super Bowl 48. And then, of course, the following year, they lost Super Bowl 49 to New England because they didn't fucking run Marshawn Lynch. So... You know, again, the, he just dragged an injury. I mean, it, and we went through this. The Birds had the same problem, too. The Eagles, all the injuries. Seattle had a ton, too. Wilson dragged an injury-infested Seattle team to an 11-5 record last year. May not like the guy. He's kind of a cornball. I don't, you know, the God stuff. Eh. I think God's kind of busy on Sundays, man, but that's just me. Nonetheless, I've got him at number two. 
Which leaves at number one, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, seriously, who the hell else would it be? <laughs> who the hell else would it be? I mean, watching him is such a surreal experience. He does – Patrick Mahomes does so many things that are odd fundamentally. He throws across his body. He throws off his back foot. He throws the dudes without even looking their way. Right? The old snake eyes pass you used to do on the blacktop playing basketball. Throw the dude's ball without looking to him. He does that on a football field and somehow it works for him. You're never out of a game with Patrick Mahomes. I feel like it, like opposing teams should be spotted a 14 nothing lead out of the gate to even shit out when you're playing against the Chiefs. This guy, I mean, again, you look at the playoffs this past year, he led remarkable, excuse me, live burp. That's hot. Jesus. I guess that's what happens, folks, when you talk for, what am I at now? Probably about an hour, 15, hour and a half or so. Talking normal, longer than usual. There will be a flatulent or two worked in. So, there you go. Enjoy. Have fun. <laughs> um, it, you know, and again, w- when you look at Mahomes, man, in the playoffs this past year, he led just great comebacks in the divisional round against Houston, against Tennessee in the AFC Championship. Even in the Super Bowl, when Kansas City was down 20-10 to 10 to San Francisco, it never felt like the Chiefs were out of it. You know? They've – this is an insane stat, man. In the nine losses, they've only lost nine games, Kansas City has, since Mahomes has been the starter. None have been by more than a touchdown. None. Lost nine games, only nine games since Mahomes has been the starter. Not a single one has been by over a touchdown. Insane. He fights through tacklers. You know, he's got players at his feet, and he's still able to extend plays. Just tremendously tough physically and mentally. He's got incredible arm talent, 4-1 in the postseason, already got a Super Bowl under his belt after this past year coming from behind to beat the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl Liv Morgan. It, it, and look, he would have had – he would have already probably possibly had two if dumbass D. Ford didn't jump off sides two AFC Championship games ago against New England. So there you go, kids. And I'm going to recap real quick. Let's recap the top five for you, and then I will uh, recap the entire list, 31 – excuse me, 32 – to number one the top five was Carson Wentz at number five Homer number four was Aaron Rodgers number three was Drew Brees number two Russell Wilson and number one Patty Mahomes so quickly just to pack it all up nice and neat recap the entire list uh, from 32 to one here without the analysis just straight up boom boom rapid fire from 32 to number one 32 Jarrett Stidham, number 31, Dwayne Haskins, number 30, Mitch Trubisky, 29, Gardner Minshew, 28, Justin Herbert, number 27, Teddy Bridgewater, 26, Tua Tagovailoa, 25, Josh Allen, 24, Daniel Jones, 23, Kyler Murray, 22, Sam Darnold, 21, Derek Carr, number 20, Joe Burrow, 19, Matt Stafford, number 18, Drew Locke, number 17, Baker Mayfield, Number 16, Jimmy Garoppolo. Number 15, Ryan Tannehill. 14, Jared Goff. Number 13 is Dak Prescott. Number 12, Big Ben Roethlisberger. Number 11, Kirk Cousins. Top 10, number 10, Phillip Rivers. Number 9, Matt Ryan. Number 8, Tom Brady. Number 7, Lamar Jackson. Number 6, Deshaun Watson. Number 5, Carson Wentz. 
Number four, Aaron Rodgers. Number three, Drew Brees. Number two, Russell Wilson. And number one, Patrick Mahomes. So I've officially talked for close to an hour and a half, I believe. Uh, Jesus Christ, that's a long time. So I'm going to make this uh, conclusion pretty quick. What do you think of the list? Again, comments are always welcome at Greasepole Podcast on Instagram. Hit me up, let you know what you think of the list. Where am I uh, full of shit? What would you do differently in the list? Just if you do, please back it up a little bit. Just don't go, hey, I'd move so-and-so here. I'm all for, man. I'm not saying I'm always right. This is just my list. What's yours, though? And give me reasons why. I'd love to hear. Again, subscribe, rate, and review every episode. This episode 7, episode Jaworski, uh, all previous episodes as well are available on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Subscribe, rate, review if you have already. Thank you. If you haven't yet, please do. Thank you in advance. I will see you next Monday. My vocal cords are exhausted. I'm probably sounding like Eddie Money right now. So that said, stay safe, everybody. Stay safe and love each other. Not to sound like John Lennon, but it's the goddamn truth. See you next week. Go Birds. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Philly.